This presentation is from UX Australia 2022, day two. Hey everyone, I'm Justin. Today I'll be talking about design principles for online learning. This talk will be most relevant to you if you're a trainer or a learning designer, or even if you're just interested about learning, which I suspect most of you are given you're at this conference. First, a bit of background. For the past two years, uh, ever since COVID, I've been teaching and exploring online learning formats through a venture called uh, Visual Academy. Before that, I've been teaching workshops in person for several years. Uh, and as with many other things, COVID forced me to do this online and it really challenged me on my approach. Uh, you know, I had to ask myself, what is an ideal learning experience that's online? What should it look like? How long should the lessons be? format should it take? And today, online courses are numbering in the hundreds of thousands. So every learning designer out there, out there is wrestling with these questions. In my own attempt to answer these questions, I drew on a couple of sources of inspiration. Uh, the first was my own experience teaching at university about, um, about a decade ago, before I was even in UX, at the UX field. Uh, I was teaching something else. And at one point at university, I got to trial teaching in this flipped classroom model. Uh, what's a flipped classroom model? So to explain the flipped classroom, we can compare it to a traditional classroom. In a traditional classroom, there's a teacher at the front of the classroom who's like a store of knowledge or an expert. And the way that class time is used is for the teacher to distribute that knowledge to students who attend. In a flipped classroom, the class time is used instead to focus on student activities. So rather than a teacher delivering a lesson, you might have students watch a lesson outside of class and then use the class time itself to have facilitated interactions. So my experience here gave me some ideas on what a productive use of class time could look like. Later on, I came across this Coursera course called eLearning Ecologies created by Bill Cope and Mary Kalansis, which describes a set of principles for what they call new learning. Basically, learning in the internet age. Uh, I've drawn a lot of inspiration from the work and here it is. So I highly recommend their course and also their book if you want to deep dive. But for the purposes of today's talk, uh, I'd like to dive into what I've learned for the past couple of years. And just for fun, I'm going to split the rest of this talk into two sections, uh, each corresponding to a metaphor with some drawings as well. Uh, I've chosen these metaphors to help us conceptualize how learning takes place, and it's going to be a bit playful. So I hope you have fun following along as I walk you through them. All right, so let's start with the first metaphor, learning as downloading. Okay, I want you to imagine for a moment that you are in fact a robot. And as a robot, what learning means for you is that um, you simply download and install some software package. Once you've installed the package, the outcome is that you're, you're now able to perform some new action or have some knowledge that enables you to perform some action. So that's downloading, um, a learning as downloading for a robot. Let's change the viewpoint. Let's say you're a teacher 
and your students are all a bunch of robots. In your role as a teacher, therefore, essentially what you're trying to do is help every robot install some software package so that they can each reach an outcome. That outcome might be that they're now successfully able to bake a cake or speak French or some other skill acquisition or knowledge acquisition. But again, learning as downloading. All right. So how does this metaphor compare to reality? On the one hand, if you've ever been a teacher or tried to teach someone something, this might feel familiar in that you often want the people you're teaching to just get something that you've got so that they can arrive at some outcome. Uh, and as a learner, this might also feel familiar in that when you do learn something, it often sticks with you, almost like you've permanently installed something in your brain that you can access over and over. However, it also feels like there's something deeply problematic about this metaphor. Um, and there is, which is that, for better or for worse, probably for the better, people are not robots. People are diverse. We all have different learning preferences, uh, and we, all, we don't really have one standard operating system to download the same software package to achieve some outcome. Some of us prefer learning with peers, some of us prefer learning alone, um, some of us prefer learning by doing, and so on. So as a teacher or as a learning designer, even if you're aiming for the same outcome for everyone who uh, comes through, like say getting them to be able to do heart surgery, um, you need to know that the way you help each learner get to that place of being able to do heart surgery is going to be different. And this is the first principle about learning design, which is that we all do learning differently. As a teacher or a learning designer, it's vital to consider diverse learning preferences. Um, listed here are some dimensions of learning, um, mimetic learning, social learning, kinesthetic learning. Sometimes you'll hear people distinguish themselves as one type of learner or another, but in my experience, most people are a bit of everything. So when you set out to improve one of these dimensions, say uh, the verbal content of the learning experience, you'll likely boost the experience not just for the purely verbal learners, but probably for everyone else uh, who learns at least a bit verbally as well. Practically speaking, for any online learning product, this means that when you're trying to decide between these different media formats in, in red, um, like offering pre-recorded videos or articles or live group calls, the best thing you can do to be learner-centric is to offer all of them, or as many as you can, even if it takes some extra work. In my case, what um, I ended up creating with Visual Academy was a choose-your-own-adventure style course. This wasn't actually how I called it, but it was how a student later described it in a review, which I thought fit nicely. Basically, if you think of a self-paced learner who learns through video content, the ideal experience for that learner is a well-produced video that's not too long, is chunked into topics, maybe even offers some exercises to uh, cement the concepts. Might be like a five, ten minute video. To engage different modalities, I also made an article version of each lesson for when a learner prefers to read instead. Uh, instead of a video, or perhaps in addition to the video. 
So this is for the self-paced learner. But what about for the live learner? Well, what live learners are often after is the social element. That is both the appeal and the accountability of learning with other people. So one trick you can do to have both experiences is simply to make your live experience be a viewing session of the video. Um, in our case, we'd have roughly a 20 minute session where live learners would come together to watch a video, that, that um, same video that's played to the self-paced learner, um, five, 10 minutes. And then the remaining time would be spent doing an exercise together. Almost like watching a short film together with, with friends, but virtually, and then get, getting together to discuss it or do some exercises. Uh, personally, I've found 20 minutes to be a nice amount of time for the attention span, online attention span in 2022. It might seem short for a live event, but in an online course, you could repeat this on a daily basis, even you know, throughout a work week, and it can actually fit pretty nicely into people's routines. By the way, it turns out I wasn't alone in trying this format. Ever since COVID took everything online, this style of learning popped up in many places from universities to uh, even conference events. I believe UX Australia has done this too. Uh, in some circles, it's been dubbed the watch party format or the uh, viewing party format. Anyway, so this is choose your own adventure style learning, which serves both the self-paced learner and the live learner and is called as such because it lets them choose how they want to access your content and in what media format. Now, just going back to the learning as downloading metaphor, we've established that people don't really download knowledge the, in the same way. But not only that, right? People also don't just learn uh, on their own. People learn dynamically um, with each other and often as a result of making things and seeing what other people make and getting feedback about the things that they themselves do. In an online learning environment, there are ways to facilitate this. Um, for example, like online chat, discussion boards, project boards, and so on. Some learning platforms have this inbuilt. For example, Skillshare courses often have a section where you can see a wall of people's project submissions, almost like a Pinterest board. But even if you're not using a platform like Skillshare, you can create your own learning environment using off-the-shelf solutions like YouTube for video or Slack for chat and so on. There are some new platforms now that try to combine all of these, but there's nothing stopping you from cobbling together your own solution. Like for example, at Visual Academy, we actually use Kudo board for our gallery walls. Uh, the Kudo board is, normal, is originally designed for virtual birthday cards or goodbye cards, but it also turns out to be a pretty good project board for letting students share their drawings. All right, so that's the metaphor of learning as downloading. Personally, uh, I definitely think it's an oversimplification to say the mind is a machine. Uh, but even if you were to think of learners as really just robots, just remember that we're very diverse robots. So that when you're designing any learning experience or learning product, try to consider as many media modalities and interaction styles as you can. All right, so that's one metaphor. Now let's look through the lens of a second metaphor, classrooms and libraries. 
Classrooms and libraries. I'd like you to rewind time and think back to your school days. If you recall, while at school, there were two places where learning primarily took place, the classroom and the library. Again, oversimplification, there were plenty of other places you learnt things to, but let's focus on these two. In the classroom, there was a focus on a curriculum. And in a curriculum, concepts would be unlocked step by step. Only once you got the foundations at one stage where you then moved upwards into the next. Kind of like walking up a staircase. And then there was the library. Learning at the library was less rigid. You could search for books on topics that interested you. You could build on your knowledge outside of a standardized curriculum. And again, this is all simplified and there were many situations where you might have an overlap. But the rough idea is that there was this place for stepped learning and then there's this other place for, let's call it, search learning. Now, when we look beyond schools into universities, most campuses kind of look like an expanded version of school. Like, yes, they might be bigger, have more facilities, um, but they also basically have classrooms for stepped curriculum-like learning and separately reference libraries for search-based learning. Anyway, so what's so interesting about this metaphor? Well, to answer that, um, I'd like to, you to imagine one more thing. Let's pretend there's a parallel universe somewhere. It's a world that's identical to Earth, somewhere in the galaxy, but in that world, they don't have the internet, whilst we do. What is the difference between our world and that identical Earth with no internet? The difference is, in our world, the internet is the library. And not just any ordinary library. It's a very, very big library that has no closing hours. It's got all the media formats you want, videos, articles, a crowdsourced encyclopedia. It can be reached by you at any time, anywhere, where you have an internet connection. And all of it is basically available at your fingertips if you've got a smartphone and know how to search the catalog. This ubiquity of access changes everything for the classroom and library model. It creates a potential for your learning to be dominated by the internet. So for example, in such a world, a learner might first come to learn about other things they learn through the internet rather than the classroom. And in such a world, the learner might only go into a classroom when they want to explore a topic with more structure. In this way, Rather than the library being the secondary place of learning, maybe it's the classroom that becomes the secondary place of learning. That's a bit to think about. And, you know, if I revisit this previous metaphor, just think about the interaction where you're a professor and you're explaining something, and suddenly your student pulls up their phone to see if your information is up to date, um, if maybe if there's a, even a better way to explain what you just explained, but on the internet, literally as you explain it. And at some point you wonder, why even bother? What's the role of the teacher anymore? When uh, learners can have access to all information at all times. And this brings me to the main principle in this section, which is to flip your focus from being a teacher to being a facilitator. What that means is that for the teacher, you should focus less on your core value to students as being how much you know 
or your completeness of knowledge. And that's fine, they're not going to expect you to know everything either. Instead, your value comes from your ability to facilitate interactions uh, and feedback between students. Uh, it also comes from you demonstrating resourcefulness, that is, cultivating an ability to find things rather than an ability to know things. And also designing quality experiences that encourage learners to want to learn and to continue their learning outside of your classroom. In the Visual Academy course, one way we would facilitate interaction is peer assessment, where we'll get learners to ask feedback and give feedback to each other based on what others ask. Pictured here is uh, Eduflow. If you happen to be creating your own learning product, um, there's this platform called Eduflow, which is an out-of-the-box solution that anyone can use for hosting um, project-based learning where learners can give each other feedback. And facilitating interactions like this is going to be vital. If we zoom back to the metaphor, while it's obvious that the internet has transformed everything about classroom and its relationship to the library, it helps to remember that there are many things that a learner cannot do by simply traversing this great internet library. And that's where the value of your classroom lies. The classroom becomes a unique place to experiment, to interact, to collaborate, get feedback, um, structure your thinking, all the things that aren't simply just downloading more information into your brain uh, as we used now, first metaphor. So coming full circle, these are our two metaphors. And accompanying them, the two main principles of differentiated learning and facilitating interactivity. There's one last principle I'd like to share, though, which is to remember that you, as a teacher, are also a learner. Most of these ideas I've shared today are very, very new. You know, having the internet at the tip of our fingers has only been a phenomenon for a couple of decades. And how that's going to change the classroom, and frankly, where the on online classroom fits in is all still evolving. For me, this conference was as good as ex an excuse as any to get some feedback from my former students over the past two years, to see what outcomes they've gotten, uh, and for me to get some feedback on how I can evolve the experience. Um, here are some images showcasing some of their work and also some of their outcomes since they finished their training. And here are some more. So shout out to the former students who shared these with me. Thank you. And I hope you enjoyed that. Thank you, everyone.